everybody to the extended cut. Ross Kellis joining me today from Irmo. Yes, I'm actually here too. <laughs> I love being here. <laughs> the, the delay was making me nervous, man. Yeah. Give us an update on Irmo, man. What's going on out there? Wow. I mean, get Cliff Notes version. We're under a tree. We're under a tree. We're growing in the middle of COVID. Sweet. I can't believe it. Uh, seeing new people, new visitors. Uh, uh, we're seeing some more cultural diversity coming in. Mm. Um, we, we've been in the middle of, you know, Cliff Notes version, we've been in the middle of recruiting a worship team. So we've, you know, every week we get a different worship leader and we're um, trying to find out kind of who God's going to provide to be the leader for that team. Yeah. And, um, and you're making headway on that. Yeah, we found some, in the process of recruiting, I found some amazing people. And, and I don't know that we'll be able to keep all of them, but on Sunday, we you know, we had an African-American female vocalist that was just off the chain. Mm. Awesome. Wow. And we're so excited to be partnered with her. So Cool. We're having fun. We're going to the park, going to the town park next, uh, and on the 23rd or 4th, whatever that Sunday is. 23rd, yeah. Yeah, August 23rd, we'll be at the town park and gives us another place. Every, every new place we go, we pick up new people, so yeah. I, I'm always excited to move. So from the home to the school to the movie theater to the tree and now to town park. Yes, we are. Uh, we are like the Israelites in the desert, just traveling from one little place to the next. Till we get to the promised land. Yes, we we would love to have a facility, but we're not there yet. Yeah, man, you're doing great work. When you talk about somebody who's a hustler, mm. like it, if this whole ministry thing <laughs> that didn't sound great, recruiter. We use the word internally hustling, yeah. like trying, you know, getting it done. <laughs> That's right. I said to hustler, and Andy's over here laughing in the background. Right. Andy's mine, you know. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking recruiter. I mean, dude, you you just, mm. if this whole ministry thing doesn't work out, which it will, but if it didn't, mm. recruiter. Because, yeah. man, you do it. I, I feel favor. feel favor. I love doing it. Man. I love connecting and networking. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Cool. Well, man, super excited. Those of you who live in Irmo, know somebody in Irmo, it's not like Ross has closed the doors on that. Man, anybody at Radius that's feeling like, hey, I may need to be a part of a church plant, go do it. Yeah. Good stuff. Love to have you. Well, Ross, Psalm 136 this week, um, I preached through this uh, this psalm and... Um, got to a specific section that I teased at Lexington. So I'm going to catch everybody up, and then I thought I'd bring you in, because I knew you could help me with this discussion, because mm. I think it's an interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. So Psalm 136 goes through all of these, what I called highlights of specifically this time period between the nation of Israel in bondage in Egypt to when they get to the promised land. Right. And so these highlights are, you know, uh, the 10th plague, splitting of the Red Sea, leadership through the wilderness. And then we have four verses on these kings, the conquest, right? So we get verse 17, uh, he struck down great kings, he slaughtered famous kings, and then we get two specific examples, uh, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Now on Sunday, I read Amos 2.9 that said the Amorites were as tall as the cedars. Sturdy as oak. So clearly they have abnormal height. And the Amorites refers to the seven tribes of the Canaanites specifically that were ousted in the um, conquest. So like the, the all those crazy ites, Perizzites right. and Hittites and Amorites. Amorites. All That's of them right. are Amorites, yeah. 
Then we got to Og of Bashan, and I read the Deuteronomy 3 passage that said he had a 13-foot bed, 6-foot wide. Clearly, this was a big man. Big. Big man. So we talked about that and this idea that God clearly with the ability to, I mean, this is a highlight overthrowing these giants, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, if they were to pick out a highlight of the Old Testament, top 10 stories, probably picking David and Goliath. Top 10. Yeah. So destroying a a guy who sleeps in a 13-foot bed, probably a highlight, right? Yeah. So it gets to the question of, which I had, uh, where in the world did giants come from? My daughter asked the same question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I told everybody at the 8 o'clock service here at Lexington, I thought, hey, you might be asking where the giants come from. Listen to the extended cut. We're going to talk about where the giants came from. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What do you think? I'm not scared. (laughs) That's the reason I picked you, dude. Ain't scared. I knew you would do it. So if you were picking where we would start, what passage would you start with, Ross? Genesis 6. You got to start there. Genesis 6. So um, I actually had one person come up to me after the 8 o'clock service, and they thought, you know, Adam and Eve probably were big people in that, like, in the same way people live longer. They probably had bigger size. And um, and then as time has gone on through these thousands of years that our age, lifespan, and our height have gone down. That's not a bad theory. More speculative. Very speculative because nothing yeah. in the text would give us that. Right. So I'm going to go with the text here. And so let's take a look at it. Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Um, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Famous men, by the way, is Psalm 136. Famous kings. Oh, wow. Good good connection there. Interesting, right? So we've got to look at this, and um, there's a lot here. And I know you and I have done some recent study on this, but we, we can't cover all of it. Oh, man. But we can talk about the standpoint of sons of God. We would we, Clearly, these are spiritual beings. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, me, there are people who disagree with that. There are. But uh, let, me, let me just read Job 1.6. Yep. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. That's right. So clearly a court scene, and God's on his throne, or a divine council, we call it divine council scene, where sons of God is the other way of talking about heavenly beings. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we, would, we could also go to a Psalm 82 as well. God has taken his place in the divine assembly. Mm-hmm. So we know that these are spiritual beings. We don't have time to get into all of that. Most people would probably use the term angel mm-hmm. very in a very generic term, which is fine. We uh, can use that here. Yeah. So we know these spiritual be- beings looked down and they saw the daughters that were born to men and they said, they're beautiful. And we want them as wives. So clearly, these divine beings, these spiritual beings said, hey, um, we are going to leave our spiritual place and we are going to mingle with the physical. And the rest of the text says that they had 
uh, offspring, which are called the Nephilim. Yes, giants. Giants. Well, the uh, one thing here that makes that maybe that person that was referring to Genesis three was talking about is when Adam reached up to be like God. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be like God. Here, heaven reaches down to kind of, you know, mix with earth. And this happens multiple times in Crossing our first. Crossing a boundary, though. That's right. Multiple times in the first twelve chapters of our Bible, mm-hmm. you have um, the the reaching up to be like God. Mm-hmm. You have the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, where they're trying to reach up again. You have here the coming down, right? Um, so you, you you also have the fall of who we would call Satan mm-hmm. when he wants to be like God. In passages like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel. Yeah. So we have these, clearly there's this constant movement where we're trying to either be like God or in this section we have right. you know, spiritual beings trying to come with us, come down here to us. Right, and we learn in Jude and, and um, Second Peter that the problem is that they didn't stay within their abode. Hmm. You know, they broke a boundary. That's right. Broke a major boundary, yeah. Now, to be, I mean, just in a nutshell, clearly Eden... In Genesis 1 and 2 was this perfect place where the physical and the spiritual came together, right? Yeah, we're kind of heaven and a place where heaven and earth met, almost like a temple. That's right. And so you have, if you were looking at a Venn diagram, you would have earth, physical, heaven, spiritual, and where they overlapped in that center would have been Eden. Yeah. And that's what God wanted. He wanted to dwell with his spiritual beings and with his physical beings. Mm-hmm. And that has been now broken. And so those boundaries are in place. And we believe that the Bible is talking about how those boundaries are going to be brought back together, right? Yeah. With a new temple, mm-hmm. a new heaven and a new earth where God can dwell with both mm-hmm. his physical and his spiritual. Yeah. Uh, a new heaven and a new earth where the boundary between heaven and earth is... Um more visible. That's right. And more permeable. Very yeah. Yeah, um, yeah less of a boundary and more of the, the coming restoring of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. So back to this Nephilim. So we've got these giants and it's and there's all kinds of questions here. Like right, we could we there's all kinds of uh stuff. So so the one of them would be is um we have this flood that happens, which mm-hmm. I think is really important. Um, uh, I mean, in Genesis 6, we have the very next verse after verse 4, when the Lord saw man's wickedness, it was widespread on the earth, that every scheme of his mind was that he thought was uh, nothing but evil all the time. Yeah. Um, We know that, uh, that clearly this has something to do with these, these fallen spiritual beings. And so the flood is in response to this fall, uh, their their rebellion of God, and um, and what they bring down to earth with these giants and all the other stuff they bring to it, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, there's a lot there. I am leaving that way short. Yeah, um, but it says here that that there's a flood. So you're indicating, hey, the 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 giants were killed, but then it says. In verse 4, the yeah. Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. So we have a, we have to figure something else out here. So either the flood wasn't universal and didn't kill all the giants. That's right. Or this same thing happened. The angels came down after the flood and had offspring again, which is what I think. 
Uh, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So those of you who might say, I don't know about this Nephilim thing being giants. Well, let's go to Numbers 13. Numbers 13, I referenced this briefly on Sunday where we know Moses sent the spies into the land to check things out, to say, hey, uh, we, we've crossed the Red Sea. We've been freed from Egypt. We're going to the promised land, the land prom- promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go check it out. They send the 12 spies, and they come back, and um, they say, we went into the land that you sent us, verse 27, indeed it is flowing with milk and honey. Verse 28, however, the people living in the lands are strong, and their cities are large and fortified, and we also saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites living in the land of the Negev, Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, there they are, living in the hill country, and the Canaanites. And the people begin to mutter and moan, and we don't really know all those ites, but then Caleb is going to give us some more. He says, we can't go up against these people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim, giants, titans. They're the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. For me, that's clearly saying the Nephilim are giants. Clearly. Yeah. So this is not, I mean, for us, we have, I mean, this is a a biblical issue where the writers of the Old Testament would have equated the descendants of sons of God and women, their offspring, as giants, Nephilim, and that's how they viewed these people when they went into the promised land, land of Canaan. Yeah, and there, so there was somehow this mixing mm-hmm. of the angelic and the, you're saying the tem- the physical or the temporal and carnal. Yep. They created these beings that are beast mode, and we know God doesn't like it because they're one of the fundamental reasons why he wiped the earth clean. Yes. And so he doesn't like it, a lot. So if he did that with a flood the mm. first time, how does he do it the second time? How does how do we get rid of them? Right. Which um, I think if most people were honest who grew up in church, and my wife would be one of them, the hardest passages in the Bible to read are the passages of the conquest. Conquest of these Canaanite tribes. Where you, where God calls Israel to go in and wipe these people out. Right. And this is an incredible, I think it is difficult for everyone. Um, I have wrestled with it multiple times. um, And I thought I had come to some pretty good conclusions. Here recently, I have been, um, I've been exposed to the idea that these tribes had remnants of the Nephilim in them, these unclean half-breeds, if you will. Right. And um, God is wanting to eradicate them. Yes. And so there is the same way the flood was to wipe the earth clean of the these unclean people. Right. Half spiritual, half man. And then when it happens again, then God comes in and says, hey, 
we're going to go through and we're going to we're going to take care of this with to Joshua. Be, to be clear, um, when you when we say that that God was against the um, these what we're calling half breeds, we do not think that that God's making a statement about interracial marriage. Oh no, no, I don't, I, he he makes a statement about interracial marriage um, in in the Old Testament, but always from the standpoint of foreign nations and worshiping foreign gods. Yes. Not from the standpoint of skin color or right. um, any culture differences. So outside we're, not, we're not going there at all. That's not even but, our subject. We're talking about something completely different. Completely different. It has yeah. nothing to do with that. Yeah. Um, and even interracial marriage in the Old Testament really had nothing to do with skin color or anything like that. It had to do with... Foreign gods. Foreign gods. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be the... Um, the issue there. So yeah, th- th- this has nothing to do with people and people marrying. This has to do with these members of the divine council, spiritual beings. It's interesting in Psalm 136, just to your point, that it says God struck down mighty kings. That's right. He struck down great kings in verse 17, mighty kings in verse 18. Then he talks about who they are. Sihon, king of the Amorites, big guy. Og, king of Bashan, had a huge bed. We know he's a big guy. God's just trying to say, hey, I wiped out some Nephilim. Exactly. And that's a highlight. And it's a highlight and a summary. Yeah, very much so. That's very much like, hey, that's that's what I was doing in the conquest. I was wiping out some giants. And that's what he does when he says he struck the firstborn. Tenth plague, that's the highlight. That's the big plague. He didn't talk about the other nine. Right. Just talks about that one. Right. So one of God's big objectives in, at least we can say that much, if not the big objective, for the conquest was to wipe out some of these Nephilim or all of these Nephilim. Yeah. Um, That's a very different take on the conquest passages. And I I, I shared this with my wife because she has mentioned, I mean, we've been married 21 years this last week. And um, for those 21 years, we have talked about those conquest passages. And man, when she reads through the Old Testament and she gets to them, it just just wears on her. Mm. And I think that's an issue that a lot of people have is like, it seems like the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. Mm. And especially like the Richard Dawkins of the world who are these adamant atheists who are not just atheists, they are opposed to Christianity. These are the passages they go to. Yes. Calling him maniacal and a megalomaniac and, you know, all of these other things, right? Yeah. Um, and boy, that changes everything if this is a, if this is really a, a punishment for these spiritual beings that came down and had offspring with mankind. It's a kind of a spiritual war. Yeah. Against when we against evil spiritual forces because these are our mix. Yeah. These giants are a mix and he's fighting against the effects of what was a very um we can call it demonic type thing where the invisible is trying to you yeah. know in mix with the visible. Yep. God's fighting a what I would say is very much a spiritual war here. Yeah, and 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 to be clear, I don't think I don't think this podcast we're trying to answer the reasons for the the conquest or trying to give a theodicy of why there was a conquest because we I could go into some other things there. But we're just mainly want to talk about the giants, right? Yeah, I think I think there's yeah, the, I just think it's really interesting that that's at I think that's more than just a peripheral concept in the conquest. Yeah. 
I think that's actually um, central like, objective. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of the central objectives. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, which is very different than the things that I have been taught for forty-two years of my life when it comes to the, that stuff in the Bible. We push that stuff to the side mostly. That's right. Yeah. Um. The next question would become, which I find fascinating, is why to wipe them out? Like these Nephilim, what, what's the big deal? What was the big deal with these, these sons of God coming down? Um, so we don't talk a lot about extra biblical books, but like First Enoch. Mm-hmm. First Enoch is actually the book that expounds on the Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Yeah, which was the passage we just read about giants. That's right. The original, the original passage about giants. Peter quotes it. Mm-hmm. Jude quotes it. First Enoch, he quotes. For, first Enoch. Yeah. And in that passage, we learn more about what happened, or at least from Enoch's standpoint. Yes. Which is that these sons of God, which he calls watchers, which is a biblical term from Daniel, they came down, and when they did this, it's not just that they procreated with women. It's also that they taught mankind warfare, uh, metallurgy, uh, beautification, seduction, that they taught some of these things. And so when you read Genesis 6, 5, and it says the wickedness of mankind— some scholars would say the wickedness of mankind came not only because of a result of the fall, but it came because of the teachings of demons. Teachings of these of the teachings of these rebellious yeah. sons of God that came down. And so God is now saying, I've got to, we've got to, we've got to get rid of the Nephilim. And when it says like the Amalekites and how how they devoured each other, um, when we read that numbers passage, like they are clearly practicing these these things. And so got to be a little careful. That's Enoch. Um, yeah. But worthy enough to be quoted in the New Testament might be worthy enough for us to read. Yeah. Um, and expound upon. That's actually, um, it's actually, to me, I think a polemic against uh, another Mesopotamian story that they would say the same thing, that there were these these. Apkalu or watchers that came, and that's they. Mesopotamian has the same Genesis six kind of story, and they did these same kind of things. And but Genesis, in the Bible, that's a bad thing. Then it was a good thing, right? For them, it was hey, these Apkalu, these descendants of the gods, they're here among us. They're our kings. They taught us everything we know. God's saying no. It was terrible. It's a bad thing. It's Not a, a good thing. thing. Yeah, that's right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, wild. It's wild what the Bible can explain if you read it closely. Yeah, yeah. So, fun stuff. I mean, when I, I mean, I, clearly, there's no way to talk about any of that on Sunday from Psalm 136, and I'm not really sure. I mean, unless you're preaching Genesis six one through four, or you know, some or of these Jude num- or something. Yeah, numbers. I'm not real sure how helpful it is, but it to me, it has been encouraging to know that God was not. At the conquest, hey, let's just randomly pick a few cities. We're going to bypass some cities, and we won't bypass others. And then some of the cities he bypassed because Esau drove the Nephilim or the Rephaim out. Mm. So they were already driven out, so we don't need to worry about them. Mm. Um, anyway, just some fascinating passages that that um, shed light on a little of this. And so mm. uh, the reason we don't – and then when you think about Joshua not getting the job done, he didn't. He didn't get all the. He didn't get the job done because David had to slay Goliath. 
Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah, so when God crazy. tells you to do something, you do it. Yeah, that's one application. Another one is, for me, the big application against the giants is, hey, listen, um, God makes boundaries, and he means them to be real. Mm, yeah. And I think about male and female boundary. It's great. We love to make that boundary gray. Yeah. In the Bible, God likes to make that boundary black. Strong, yeah. He likes he, he likes the, the boundary. He, he wants to respect the boundary of heaven and earth. He mm. wants to res- That's why communicating with the dead, Deuteronomy 18, that's a huge problem for God. Yeah. You're breaking a boundary that I put there, and I put mm. boundaries there for a reason. And, and, and then in the books, in the legal books, don't move a boundary stone. Yeah. The boundary stone of your ancestors is a good thing. I I, I put that there. Don't yeah. move the, you know, so that's, for me, the giant stories teaches mm. me that theologically. Yeah. And we we just struggle with boundaries, period. Ten yeah. Commandments are boundaries. The the all of the the legal piece of it, these boundaries. Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus comes, people think, oh, he's blowing up boundaries. No, actually, he puts them even tighter in. Mm. Um, and this Holy Spirit lives within us. And so, man, we have this. We have boundaries because of we don't want to we don't want to um, um, grieve the Holy Spirit. Mm. So yeah, it's good stuff, man. Solid. Fun. Ross, man, thank you. I hope we didn't bore our listeners 20 minutes ago, but... Uh, oh, no, man. They're excited. They're going to be calling and asking questions. <laughs> oh, one's calling in now. That's well, right. got to go. <laughs> That's right. Ross, thanks, man. Continue the good work out there at Irmo. And, um, man, just know, always know, anytime we get to some crazy stuff in the Bible... I bring you on the podcast. Yeah. Because you're the man. You're the crazy man. Uh, I'm the crazy guy. All right. Well, you guys have a great week, and uh, we'll talk at you next time.